Hi, everyone. Welcome to Trader Chats, unique perspectives from seasoned traders. I'm your host, Imran Laka, founder of Options Insight and 20-year professional options trader. As you might know, I became a trading mentor about three years ago, but I thought these conversations would be a great way for my students to gain valuable perspectives from some of the professional traders that I know and respect. I hope you enjoy the episode. to today's episode of Trader Chats. Um, this one's called The Wisdom of Charts. And there was no one better that I could think of to bring on when we're going to talk technical analysis than my good friend Kuda Kwashe Chinhara, otherwise known as K. <laughs> so welcome, K. It's good to have you on. And um, Thanks for having me. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your background, uh, you know, how long you've been trading, et cetera, and um, how we know each other. All right. Um, well, so um, uh, I've been trading since, um, well, officially since 2005, which is when I graduated from the London School of Economics. I've been studying mathematics and statistics there. Um, and uh, I first uh, worked for about six years at uh six years at Goldman Sachs trading equity derivatives. Um, and then uh, after that, took a break for a year, joined City, was at City for, for five years, which is of course where I met you and uh, we, we had a few adventures there. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's been quite the journey. Mm. And um, yeah, so, you know, the reason why, I mean, me and Kay, like he said, we met at Citibank. Um, and, and before I met Kay, I really didn't use a whole lot of technical analysis, right? I, I was of the belief, and I started in the industry in 2001, and most of the people that I kind of met or learned from kind of didn't really look at charts in any great detail. They, they were kind of the, of the opinion, the only reason to look at charts is because everyone else looks at them. And there wasn't really much else that they thought they could get from charts, basically, right? And... And one of the things that a lot of people say is, you know, technical analysis is just a bunch of random squiggles on a chart. Like anyone can draw lines in various trajectories and, and kind of build any picture or story they want on a chart. So yeah. my question to you would be, you know, why do you find charts so important to trading and investment decisions? Okay, so... I think it's worth defining what you know. What what does a chart represent for you know for starters, right? A, a chart is a visualization of a of a time series. Uh, so for me, technical analysis is time series analysis, um, and you know that that is what that is what I studied back in university. Um, and you know, in fact, my my introduction to technical analysis, or what what we may call classical technical analysis or chart analysis itself, that probably came a year or two into my first job. Uh, but prior to that, um, you know, dating back to the time I was an intern uh, in university, um, 
it was more statistical analysis for pattern recognition. Um, you know, in fact, the projects I got involved in um, when, when I was a banking intern and were along those lines. So when, when um, I was introduced to charting analysis, which was through the, you know, the sort of old school technical analysis that was being done by the team at Goldman Sachs, you know, there, there was one particular analyst who he had, he had a language that I enjoyed, put it that way. Um, and so it, it came from questions I started asking him by the techniques that, that he was using. Uh, and it, it, what I wanted was some, some the, the data to support the sort of um, assumptions or views that he had. Uh, I, I, re I remember the very first thing I worked on, you know, he was talking about momentum divergences, which has kind of stuck around for a lot of time. Um, and, and what I then found is, you know, if you're trying to test test these assumptions, test these sort of techniques. Uh, there, there's so many different ways to skin the cat, so to speak, uh, because how you define some of these phenomena or patterns or whatever you want to call it um, is, is uh, a massive part of the trip. Um, and then how you play with the information you get out of that is also part, I think, of the, the art of uh, classical charting analysis. Um, but I say my, my particular take was on testing, testing a lot of what came out from these old school traders, the old school analysts. Um, that really was my introduction. I, I took what they're saying, tried to codify it and come up with some sort of uh, statistical backtest or some measure of uh, if there was any sort of predictive signal in what they were saying. Um, well, you mentioned pattern recognition, right? So that's, so, so the idea being that it's like, you know, the theory being that patterns kind of repeat over time. There's like, yes. and if that's the case, why should, why do you think you should, why do you think that is something that you see in time series? Like you see repeating patterns, like what is the, what is the lot? Is there a logic logic behind that? Or, or is that just a coincidence? We could speculate, right? When it comes to say market prices, when it comes to those time series, right? What they they are a reflection of human action, mm -hmm. right? And as we know, we are we you know we have a lot of uh, biases, we have a lot of tendencies, um, which can uh, be reflected in in the you know the history of our economic interactions, whether that be some stock market index or may, maybe through a time series of interest rates or whatever it is these you know it is possible you know i'm not i'm not saying this as a matter of fact but it is possible to certainly historically point to those episodes where certain mass public sort of emotion or uh psychology was driving things but fear and right? Greed, basically, right? those are the classic ones people speak of right? yeah yeah that's 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 probably the easiest way to put it. You know, mm -hmm. when fear or greed uh, was predominantly driving uh, price action, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I believe, right? I believe that, yeah, there are certain tendencies that will show up within uh, markets, within price series, based on what those predominant emotions are at any one point in time, 
right? And they may show up in ways that we don't quite understand, uh, maybe quite, cannot quite measure. But, you know, if, if you've been in the markets long enough, um, I think a lot of the old school sayings, they come from that, just the, so that sort of, those sort of observations. You know, some old school trader who's been around for a long time, for example, and it's just things that, patterns that they notice all, time and again. Right? And then you, they, they start saying it and other people start saying things. And before you know it, something is sort of part of conventional wisdom. But those are the lot of, a lot of the type of things that I was testing out to see if there was some sort of statistical validity mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to a lot of things that you just hear people say a lot. Right. And then, you know, what about fundamentals, right? I mean, you know, for those of us who aren't technical analysis gurus have spent our whole careers looking at this stuff, yeah. You know, there's definitely an argument that the things that are more important in this day and age might be central bank policy or p- politics or, or, you know, what is the macro narrative that everyone's focused on right now? Is it rates? Is it the dollar? Um, what are the trade flows that are moving markets like the retail army that's buying all these meme stocks is just a massive driver. So, you know, how do you think that fits into it? Or is it even relevant at all in your opinion? I can tell you how it fits into my analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to economics, um, I follow the Austrian school, right? For me, that is what best explains everything we see, everything we have seen. Um, For those who aren't familiar with the Austrian school, in a nutshell, and yeah. I know that's probably not easy. What 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 do you mean by that? What do I mean by that? Oh my god! Uh, if, <laughs> how how can we summarize this the best? Okay. Well, when it comes to the market, when it comes to, say someone who is active in the market, my I'd say the biggest takeaway for me from uh, the Austrian school is the uh, Austrian business cycle theory um, that uh, what what we have had certainly in the last century or so in this age of uh, a lot of uh, what we call unsound money, uh, central banking, uh, lots of government intervention, that sort of era um, is that this general boom and bust cycle is a, a direct consequence of, of artificial credit creation. Um, and it is characterized by often long periods of a general, um, a general boom in economic conditions. Uh, but there is always an unavoidable bust, mm-hmm. an unavoidable bust, which is, um, uh, essentially where uh, you get a cluster of entrepreneurial error because artificial credit creation results in a lot of malinvestment, mm-hmm. right? A lot of projects that are truly unprofitable at best will get financed during an artificial credit uh, boom. Mm-hmm. But at some point in time, you need to unwind that. You need to pay the piper. You need to pay the piper, yeah. right? Um, so you have an unavoidable bust, 
and then guess what? You start again. Mm -hmm. So I look, I look at the global economy through that lens. Mm -hmm. um, do I use specific things in from economic analysis for you know to try and time trades or whatnot? Not really, right? It is that basic having that basic background that uh, you know is, is, is effectively during that uh, that credit boom, which can last years. It can last many many years. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but that's generally where you have these long sort of trends developing in markets. Mm -hmm. um, yes, you have interruptions, but pretty much for a while, you get these pretty strong trends developing. And then at some point, you probably get an enormous bust. Mm -hmm. right? As nowadays, people are getting kind of used to the idea that the bust can be pretty large, pretty fast. But they can they can be you know relative to the length of the boom the bus seem to be pretty short, to be honest. Yeah. Certainly in terms of when you look at asset prices. Uh, but I think that's that's pretty much as far as I'm looking at the fundamentals, so to speak. Right. Mm -hmm. It is identifying or knowing the sort of potential areas where you can get disruptions based on where a lot of the intervention is happening. Sure. So like. It's kind of cycle, right? Like, where are you in the cycle? And where, and like we say, a lot of the cycle is being forced by policy, basically, to an extent, right? Yes. I think if, if we're looking at that sort of, call it some a credit or artificial credit cycle based on central banking measures, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, that, that, is, that is a choice, right? Inflation is a choice. Yeah, it's a choice by whoever's running the show. Mm. Agreed. And I, I get the feeling we're in a world where they're happy to see inflation, but they just don't want to admit it, basically, right? So yeah, Most we, likely. we can go on off, off on a, a tangent there, but it's like, you know, the, it's financial repression, right? If they can keep rates low and inflation high, but use CPI as your barometer of what official inflation is when asset price inflation is like three to five times that, then you basically just inflate assets to the moon. Basically. Oh, absolutely. You know, if we're going to start talking about central banking, this, this is going to be a discussion that's going to last weeks, you know. Yeah, <laughs> and no, uh, I don't want to talk about central Horrible banking. side effects of what they're doing yeah. in, uh, across so many different factors of life. <laughs> Uh, for the middle class, for the poor people. It, 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 it's a never-ending conversation, right? It's so funny. Uh, I follow a guy called Darius Dale. I don't know if yeah. you know him. Uh, 42 Macro, ex-Hedgeye guy. And he cracked me up the other day. He was on Real Vision and he was saying, the Fed are now trying to solve racism via their policies because they're saying they're looking at unemployment of the different sectors like blacks and Hispanics and stuff like that. It's just like, yes, what are they doing, right? They're saying- or climate change. Oh, climate change. Exactly. When the hell did such crap become mandated of a, a central bank? You know, it's best not to start. It's crazy. Anyway, let's move on. So, um, okay, so you're not really looking sort of day to day what the fundamental news flow is or anything like that. You're looking much more big picture. No. Where are you in the bigger picture cycle? And then outside of that, all your analysis is more around the technicals and the charts. So then the next question I would say is, what um, what type of charting strategies and techniques 
do you find to be the most valuable basically are there any are there like a handful are there like have you got some favorites that you that you lean on for your analysis that you have tested and found to be particularly effective at helping you navigate markets basically okay um so yeah for me the whole you know it's it's, a, it's the process is like baking a cake you've got different ingredients eat them in the right amounts from your recipe to get uh something good coming out at the end uh so i can briefly describe the the inputs into into how i'm looking at the market right so i'd say if we have that big fundamental picture running in the background, first we, we peel the first layer of the onion, then would, would come actual cyclical and seasonal analysis. Mm -hmm. um, and within that, I, I, I am looking for what are generally repeatable patterns in terms of of, uh, of the market ebbing and flowing, whether it's um, uh, the shorter term bull and bear markets. Um, you know, a, a classic cycle for people to study, to look at is the so-called kitchen inventory cycle discovered by an e economist back in 1923. Mm -hmm. He was looking at various things such as interest rates in Great Britain and the US, I think some commodity prices and he identified uh, a cycle which he said was roughly 40 months long. Um, and it, it, the, the theory he put forward was that it was a result of uh, uh, what you see in terms of the buildup and depletion of in inventories, uh, where uh, from a, if you can imagine you get a general increase in demand for particular goods and services, or here I was looking at goods, uh, entrepreneurs would respond to that by expanding output. Expand output, uh, but up until a, such a point where the market becomes saturated with the goods. And so you have a relative demand and drop, which results in prices dropping. And then that signaling mechanism would eventually get back to the entrepreneurs because they're just building up, building up inventories. Of course, they slash prices, they reduce employment, they reduce all the factors of production. You get a, you get a downturn. And then you start the process again. So you've got this sort of self-regulating process, which is pretty evident, say, in, in the oil market. You know, mm -hmm. at certain oil prices, that will start bringing up more businesses online. The marginal businesses start coming online, right? Mm -hmm. But then eventually they start flooding the market with the increased supply. Prices start coming off and then going to come off to a level where those marginal businesses start going out of business up, up until you have a, a shortfall in terms of supply and just kind of start off again. So he identified this, this you know, cycle with a period of roughly 40 months, which interestingly, if you look, if you do like a spectral analysis of a lot of indicators nowadays, such as the S&P 500, look at gold prices, you find that uh, one of the main cycle beats corresponds to the kitchen cycle. That's why it's lasted so long in the literature. Mm -hmm. um, that is one such example. So tracking such things to, again, give a, it starts giving a little bit of granularity on that larger picture. So mm -hmm. identify periods where maybe you're now coming off a trough in that cycle. Mm -hmm. Probably a good time where you start building for the medium to longer term, 
so-called risk-on positions or coming into a position, you know, coming into a time of period where you might be actually heading into the trough. Okay. Oh, okay. So I get, okay. So I get cycles are important. You can look at, you can have an idea on the cycle based on where you see policy. You can do some analysis on the actual data, historical data to identify repeatable time cycles within your time series. Exactly. What about the actual charting techniques? Like now we come to that, right? So that's the next level down, right? Right. right. <clears throat> and in that, um, what nowadays I'm very systematic about how th that approach, right? I literally have uh, a model built based on techniques I've used over the last decade and a half, mm -hmm. which is essentially a state space model. It is giving me an output, uh, simply four states for I'm looking at four major markets as stocks, bonds, metals, and energy. The four states are either buy the dip, self-explanatory, uh, it's contra, sell the rip, there's mind the squeeze and sort of mind the flop, right? So it's, it's, it's um, just language to point to the sort of character that I am expecting from a particular market. Is it in the sort of uptrend where I want to be buying weakness mm. for a market that I expect to remain in a, on an uptrend? or the reverse? Or is it say a market that has been experiencing some weakness, but historically the indicators are pointing to the risk or the likelihood of a squeeze? Okay, and the indicators right. you mentioned, you said the indicators are pointing to, so can you can you divulge? In that, in that, yeah. So there I'm using a selection of, of classic uh, momentum indicators. Okay such things as MACD, such things as RSI, et cetera, okay. right? Um, so you're, not, you're I, not using those, you're not using those like the basic oversold, overbought indicators, right? You're, no, 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 so. Okay. Yeah, I don't have such hard coding as say, as such a levels overbought, such a levels oversold, no. Mm -hmm. um, this is more of a, we'll, we'll get into it on another day, just how, how exactly the input from the indicators is. But what that is giving me is a, a market regime. Okay. Now, once I have that market regime, I can actually start overlaying some of the more classical old school technical analysis mm -hmm. if I want to tell a story. So for example, such things as Elliott Wave. Mm -hmm. I find Elliott Wave very useful for providing context. Mm -hmm. Providing context, but also for constructing uh, different market scenarios. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. I've I've put a I've put an Elliott Wave tutorial on my YouTube channel just gotcha. to know what it means. But yeah, I yeah. agree. It does help give you a context. It's not particularly predictive, I don't find. But no, it, 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 it depends on the user, right? But then it's when you say it depends on the user, it's just depending on depending on the luck of the user. Because yes, it's open to such wide interpretation, mm. such mm. wide interpretation. But it's because of that that I find it's useful those scenarios, right? So. You can put yourself in so many different shoes and come up with so many different possible Elliot scenarios, mm. uh, but you can use those, right? You can use those as coming up with some sort of ensemble of forecasts. Because that, that is truly how I look at the market, right? It's kind of like weather forecasting, right? Well, a much difficult version of weather forecasting. Because in weather forecasting, you, you know the rules, it's physics, right? But still, it's incredibly difficult. With mm. us, in the markets, yeah, much more difficult. So making one single prediction is not probably the way to go. It's about having 
an ensemble of forecasts, having uh, a wide array of scenarios that you're looking at and are prepared for, certainly in terms of your own positioning. And then do you attach probabilities to those outcomes and you might have a, a favorite outcome that you think <clears throat> is more likely because more of the stars are aligning to suggest that that's the case? So that's what's coming from the level we, we described before. The, the actual statistical model that's giving me those regimes okay. is that, yeah, that in effect is giving me what's most likely based on the market, its market's history itself. Right. On that comes my overlay of, okay, this is what could be happening, but also this else, this also could be happening. But these are the sort of scenarios that are most supported by the current regime. If the regime is saying buy the dip, then of course, I'm, I'm thinking the likelihood of the more, say, say ugly scenarios, for example, large sell-offs or whatnot is probably a little bit premature or wrong. <laughs> And to identify like entry levels or target levels of thing, I mean, is is the is your preferred approach like Fibonacci? Is that because a lot of people use that in technical analysis, right? Seems to be yes. the most used or one of the most used techniques to identify levels. Is that something you support as well? Fibonacci is great if you know how to use it. Okay. Uh, the classic use of Fibonacci, the classic way people use it, is probably a waste of time. And what is, uh, what is the classic way people use it? The way I saw people using it 15 years ago, the way I was using it 15 years ago, where you just pick a ginormous swing and shove your Fibonacci grid there and say, oh, here's my 38 point, whatever, 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 right? You know, that, uh, which I, obviously I became frustrated with very quickly because I said, hey, this doesn't work. And, <laughs> right? it's, and it's just arbitrary, right? It's, too it's arbitrary. very arbitrary, right? There, there, there is an art to it. Uh, and that, that I only learned after many years of trolling the literature, uh, where you know, basically I think there are only two individuals, one of which I remember, uh, who were using what they called Fibonacci confluence, mm -hmm. which you know it, it, it completely blew my mind. What blew my mind, first of all, was the accuracy of this analyst's uh, levels, yeah. right? Um, and then once I learned how she was doing it, then I realized, okay, this is how you use Fibonacci then, right? Yeah. But then well, it turns out Fibonacci is also just one of many inputs you could use when it comes to identifying good trading zones, good trading levels. I mean, right? full disclosure, I mean, you, you taught me, and I'm, I'm by no means an expert, but you taught me a bit of uh, the art of Fibonacci confluence, and I use it religiously yeah. when I'm trying to identify my own levels. And it does amaze me, the accuracy that it comes out with a lot of the time. And you know, I, that leads me on to my next question is like, do you see certain markets respect the levels more than others? And is that just completely random? Or do you think that there's some rationale to like why a market might respect technicals more than say some other market? Uh, that is a very difficult question for me to answer. I, I have no idea how to answer that. Um, Put it this way, right? So in the last few years, there's something I came across. Uh, it was, uh, I, I don't know who developed the idea, but it was being used by, not necessarily an analyst, but this guy's just a researcher. He's, he's, I think he's a former Russian nuclear physicist or something like that, right? Um, and he develops a lot of interesting toys, so to speak. He, he had one called turning point analyzer. Uh, and effectively what, 
you do here is you, you can shove in a, a time series of whatever your favorite market. Uh, and you define a certain swing threshold. So say for example, 10%, right? And then it'll go through the entire history of your time series and mark with swings every time you had a 10% or greater move. Mm. And then it performs a statistical analysis of the relations or proportions of all those swings. Mm. It'll do them pairwise in terms of uh, every swing relative to the, the most recent one. Then you can do the swing to uh, the, the one before that, the one before that, and it continues to like 10 swings back. So you just have all these sort of relationships for any market for effectively turning points. You know, what are the sort of proportional swing moves that this particular market likes to mark its turning points? Mm -hmm. And what you'll find is, yes, there's some markets that these turning points start clustering. because yeah, you can draw a histogram of this, right? You'll find them, they start clustering around certain Fibonacci relationships, but that's quite rare. Right, but you do see there are certain levels to which a market tends to mark its turning points in terms of the relationship between these swings. And that, that sort of statistical analysis, when I started adding it to say Fibonacci confluence and the other techniques we've talked about, then things just became, it's like you're going looking at things from two dimensions. Now you're seeing, you're not actually seeing depth, you're seeing three dimensions, right? Because yes, you find markets can be different, right? Uh, it's not one size fits all. Yeah, well, that's something you've said to me before. It's like each market has its own character, right? So when you're yeah. doing some sort of momentum indicator analysis on a market, you don't just say fit RSI below 30 is the level for every market. You basically say, yeah. what is the character of this market, right? And what also is you know, what is the important level on the S&P's RSI, right? What is the important level on oil on its RSI? And they can have their individual levels and respect yeah. their own levels. And that is almost like the, in, the unique signature of a market that takes into account all of the actors within that market and their psychology and the way they behave. And, you know, and it's all amalgamated into one indicator that you can then kind of try to get a feel for basically right so that's kind of how i understood it yeah agreed right all right well we're running a bit low on time but um have you got any last question have you got any particular setups right now that you see that are very clear in your mind from a technical perspective you know whether it's equities whether it's commodities whether it's crypto whatever it is you're looking at have you got a favorite setup that you just think it's all pointing very clearly to a certain scenario in your mind. Um, well, there, there are a few, right? Uh, you know, as you've probably seen, I've uh, been blogging a few things whenever I think something interesting is, is on the cards. Uh, so one interesting setup at the moment is um, the US dollar. I think I put out something in July, mm -hmm. something in July whilst the dollars were very strong uh, about uh, cyclical headwinds that were turning up uh, into in, in the second half, right? And then did you know I put, I put some statistics to go up with that as well because I think 
uh, you know, the DXY is something where we have a nice long history of, 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 of time series. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think that that's an example of where I was using all those bits of the system we talked about mm-hmm. to, to uh, point to the position that I wanted to take, right? So, um, and I, I've, been, I've been short dollar for you know, a few weeks now, uh, based on the model output, based on those cyclical, um, uh, those cyclical inputs, because the dollar has this seasonality of having a lot of weakness around this time of year, heading on to say October, November. Uh, and uh, but you know, if if you if you if you read that report, you will also see uh, how the the Elliott scenarios can be uh, used as an overlay into that to show okay, this is likely what is probably happening at the moment. Um, of course, there are other potential outcomes, but based on the model outputs based on the cyclical mm. uh, inputs. Uh, I'm looking at being short the dollar, uh, probably for the remainder of this year. And you know, the primary scenario I'm looking at on the euro is possibly euro to 124, 125. Mm. Uh, whether you're looking at yeah, sterling as well uh, to to new new cycle highs, right? Looking at uh, you know, well, certainly the dollar to making new cycle lows uh, mm. from where it is currently before we get the, you know, what will probably then be the next upswing in the dollar. And that's interesting because that, that analysis you've done is all purely based on technicals. Whereas a lot of people, when they're trying to build their view on the dollar for the next three to six months, will be looking completely at policy and saying, what is the relative um, kind of state of play in terms of what the Fed's gonna do versus the ECB, what yep. are yields, what are relative yield differentials or real yield differentials, things like, you don't look at any of that, right? You're just looking purely at price action in the DXY. What are the cycles? What's the seasonality? And that's your view is based purely on that, right? Purely on that. Just purely on that. You know, Fed's going to Fed. ECB is going to ECB. <laughs> How can I say it, right? Uh, you, you can analyze anything that they say. You know, they may end up doing something completely different to what they say, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, yeah. So, so I mean, tell people before, before you go, tell people where they can find out more about you, where they can find, I know you write some articles on Medium, you mentioned yeah. blogging, is that, is that yeah. your, the place? That is, that is it, that is the only place, I mean, I, I, I provide links to, I've got a Twitter account based on your recommendation, uh, mm. but I, I just link to the articles that I occasionally put up you on do link. You do link your Medium articles onto your Twitter. So exactly. what's, what's your Twitter handle? Uh, I believe it is Trading Shinobi. Trading Shinobi. Okay, fine. That's that's where people can find Kay. Um, we're going to call it a day for this one. Kay, really appreciate you coming. It's Thank always you. great. Always great to chat to you. I always learn so much. You've taught me a lot about a lot of things. I'm sure you're going to keep doing that. And I'm I'm going to bring you back for sure, right? So maybe in a few months, we'll come back and see if your prediction on the dollar turned out to be right. Yeah? No problem. All right, man. But take care of yourself. And thanks All a right. lot. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. To learn more about Options Insight and our trading community, please visit us at www.options-insight.com. Or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, 
And also follow us on Twitter at options underscore insight. Until next time, thanks. Thank you.